Uh, as I've said before, but if you're new to Grace Covenant, our normal practice is to work our way through uh, the books and the letters of the scriptures, uh, verse by verse, and seeing what God would speak to us through that, in which case we don't miss things and we are not tempted to uh, just highlight those things that we like to talk about or are easy for us. Uh, but um, if we were to skip something over something, you would know and have reason to ask, why are we doing that? But this time of year, and uh, we turn our attention from our, our normal study and then focus on uh, the birth of Christ, God's gift to us in the person of Jesus. And uh, we focus our attention ordinarily on those passages uh, that are related to uh, the coming of the Messiah. Uh, the passage that we have this morning, uh, that we have been looking at this Advent season, is Matthew 2, verses 10 and 11. Uh, and we come again to that this morning. So I invite you now to turn your attention to the Word and hear the Word of God. Matthew 2, verses 10 and 11. When the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. The word of our God, let's pray. Our Father, as we come this day, we come yet again into your sanctuary. Uh, we come to offer you worship, uh, although uh, you are the one who has invited us. We come to you to uh, praise you, and yet we are those who are in need of grace. We are reminded as we come this day, as all Lord's days, that we can never outgive you. And so we do pray that the worship we offer would be pleasing and that uh, you would be honored. But we also come as those who are in need, need of being renewed, having our minds to be renewed according to your ways, our hearts to be renewed and reconciled to you. And you turn our attention to Christ. So Father, may we recognize your gift to us as we consider this word, your gift to us in Jesus. May you instruct us in how we may also give thanks and honor and express our love for he who has loved us when we were so unlovable. Father, bless us that we may be a blessing to you and to all who are around us. We pray in the incomparable name of Christ, our Redeemer and our King. Amen. So begin this morning, I want, to, uh, want you to hear these words of the Christmas season from the uh, syndicated columnist Dave Barry from the Miami Herald sharing his family's Christmas tradition. Once again, we find ourselves enmeshed in the holiday season, that very special time of year when we join with our loved ones in sharing centuries-old traditions, such as trying to find a parking space at the mall. We traditionally do this in my family by driving around the parking lot until we see a shopper emerge from the mall. Then we follow her in very much the same spirit as the three wise men who 2,000 years ago followed a star week after week until it led them to a parking space. Now, we've been looking at these three wise men or these magi for uh, the past couple of weeks. We've been considering their story. In particular, we've been considering the the gifts that they brought as are recorded here in, in Matthew chapter 2. And the reason we're doing that is to help us to answer this question. Uh, what is it that we will give to Jesus for Christmas? 
Uh, the whole premise in this series is that we give gifts to one another, which is perfectly appropriate. Any party often is, has party favors, and so that's appropriate. We give gifts to one another because Jesus is not in need of our gifts, and uh, he has commanded us to love one another, and those gifts are expressions of love that we have for one another. And yet the whole driving premise that I've been sharing this time is it just still seems somewhat appropriate to give gifts to everybody else in your sphere of relationship and not to the one whose birthday we are celebrating. And so we've been looking at these gifts that are recorded here in Matthew chapter 2 to give us some idea of gifts that would be appropriate and acceptable before God who has born incarnate. We know they're acceptable because God's recorded them and he had accepted them uh, in, as, the, as the Magi gave them to him uh, 2,000 years ago. And these gifts continue to be good gifts to be given to Christ uh, even by us in this day. Now, we don't know a whole lot about these wise men or these Magi as uh, they are recorded here in the Scriptures. We do have a pretty good idea that their story is a little different than Dave Barry quite explains it. I don't know that they were looking for a parking spot and they were following that star far more than for just a, a, a few weeks. In fact, they were following that star perhaps for as much as uh, six months to 18 months before they found uh, where Jesus uh, lay, not in a manger, but as a, as a young toddler, probably you know, a year old, 18, uh, 18 months old. Uh, we also don't know how many there were. Traditionally, we say three because there's three gifts that were listed, but scholars suggest that there would have been many, many more uh, than just those three. And then accompanying those three would have been uh, staff and, and, and servants uh, that would have come along with them. And rather than a journey to find a, a parking spot, they came to honor the one who was born to be king of kings. They came and they bowed down and they worshipped him. In fact, the, the gifts that they gave were an expression of worship, which is particularly uh, interesting when you consider that these men were not Jewish. They were pagan. They were astrologers. And so somehow they knew that this child who was to be king of kings and is worthy of worship, even though worship only goes to God, but with no real conception of just how significant and even the reason for which this child was born. And still God had inspired them to bring gifts that were not only acceptable, but were reflective of who he was and what it is that he has come to do. Every one of these gifts is a reflection of what the scriptures teach us of the offices that Jesus came to exercise in this life. Offices that were prophesied long before when we were told that the Messiah would come in the order of Melchizedek, who was a figure who appeared seemingly out of nowhere in the book of Genesis to Abram. And Abram bowed down and worshipped him again, worship belonging only to God. And Abram tithed 10% of his wealth to him. We're told he had no beginning and no ending. And Jesus Christ, though he came and became like us and came as one of us, he being eternal God has no beginning 
and he has no end. And we're told that Melchizedek exercised the offices of prophet, priest, and king, and no one else in Israel was to exercise all three because that was going to be the hallmark of the promised Messiah. And here, these men coming with their gifts, offering them, even as we have seen, to offer gold, which is appropriate for a mighty king. And they offered myrrh, which is appropriate for a martyred prophet. And this morning we consider the third of these gifts, the incense, in particular frankincense, which is appropriate for a ministering priest. Incense, and in particular frankincense, is, is a perfect gift for the perfect person. Jesus is God who is incarnate. We're told that he, he came and he dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life in order that he would be the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Without flaw, he would able to offer himself not only to pay for, not to pay for sins of his own, because the wage of sin is death, but because he had no sin of his own, his life, his death, was able to pay the price of the debt that you and I owe. And frankincense is a particularly good gift to reflect that perfection of this one who was the promised Messiah. Uh, the word frankincense itself comes from the French, and it, and it means uh, pure incense. Uh, but the Hebrew word for frankincense is actually just simply means white. And while it shouldn't need to be said, but unfortunately in our culture it does, it has absolutely nothing to do with, with race. But white being a symbol in, across cultures uh, all around the world often is the symbol of, of purity. People seem to understand that, whether it's in pure light or pure, and when they, when they celebrate purity, uh, they would dress in gowns uh, of white, whether they be the, the priest uh, in uh, ancient Israel or other parts of the world, or when uh, weddings uh, take place in, in our culture, the, the white dress symbolizes, uh, symbolizes purity. Uh, the color white without stain is, is the picture of purity, and frankincense means white because it is a white gummy substance that when it's ground up uh, then creates uh, kind of this rosin when it's burned uh, offers uh, and emits a, a white puff of smoke that is fragrant in, in its offering. It's often used as a, as a perfume. Many of your essential oils probably have frankincense in them to, to give that, that aroma. It was, it was used as a perfume as popular throughout all of the, the Middle East in, in the ancient times. And so because of its purity and because of the, the sweet aroma, it is a perfect gift to give to the one who is perfect. It's also a perfect and appropriate gift to be giving to uh, this uh, newborn Jesus because uh, of, of, of its nature. Frankincense or incense comes from a, a kind of a bush-like tree that grows often in the rocks without uh, a lot of depth in the soil. The trees themselves can apparently grow to be quite large. Apparently they can get to be 15, 16 feet uh, in height and, and with... Uh, uh, some width that goes uh, goes with that, and so they can be quite large of a of a bushy tree, uh, and and yet even that, if you consider uh, the kind of the the implications of that, how they might be reflective of of Jesus, makes this uh, this whole idea of presenting frankincense a a perfect gift for the perfect person, because the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the rock from which we get life. 
He hung on the tree in order that we might have life. And while frankincense comes from a tree that is, grows in the rocks with very little uh, connection with uh, the soil, we see that Jesus also, even though he was born and lived on this earth, his roots are not rooted in this world, but in eternity and in heaven itself. One commentator said that Jesus is the rock who tread very lightly while he was traveling through this world. He was not caught up with the things of this world. He was not bound to the things of this world. And so Jesus is free and he is pure. And because he is free and because he is pure, frankincense becomes a perfect gift to represent and to give to the perfect person. Frankincense is also a very practical gift to be giving to a, a priestly person. Because when we see frankincense used in, in the Old Testament, it's used almost exclusively by, uh, by the priest and, and by the priest while they were ministering. Uh, we see that in particularly in, in two, two different ways. Uh, the first, if you were to look in, in Exodus chapter 30, you would see the instructions for uh, the priest as they minister in the tabernacle or in the temple uh, with the, at the altar of incense. And the first thing that the priests were to do when they would begin their shifts is they would to make sure that their incense was burning in the, you know, the, on the altar of incense. And they were to make sure that that was perpetually burning. And, and during their shift, they would go and make sure that the incense was always burning. And, and even when they were to leave, they would make sure that the incense was burning. And so the next guy that came in to serve, that there was, you know, was burning as they make that transition. And then the new priest coming in was to make sure that the incense was burning. They continually were going about their business, but part of their business was to make sure that the uh, incense was always burning from the altar of incense so that everything they do was an act of worship to God, a pleasing aroma to uh, our God, symbolic uh, of, of the work that they were doing on behalf of the people between God and man. And so you, you have this associated with the priesthood. And then we see another place where the priests were to use this, uh, this uh, ingredient, this incense of frankincense. And you find that in Leviticus 2 or in Leviticus 6 when we get instructions for the grain offering or the meal offering. Now, there's a number of offerings, a number of sacrifices that are made throughout the scriptures. Many of them are, are sin offerings, and we are very familiar with those. And Jesus himself came to be the perfect sin offering. He was the spotless lamb who would be slain to pay the penalty for our sin. But the meal offering and the grain offering was something very different. It was not a sin offering. It was not a guilt offering. It was a love offering in the truest sense. So the meal offering or the grain offering was when people voluntarily decided they just wanted to go and they just wanted to say, Lord, I love you. And, and so they would just take some grain. They would take the meal and, and they would bring that to the priest and offer it. And by offering that prayer and the priest on their behalf going before God, offers the, what they brought to them, it was a way of symbolically saying, Lord, everything I have has come from you. You provide the bread that feeds me and feeds my family. And I give this to you as an expression to say, everything that I have is yours. I belong to you because I trust you. You provide. I, I love you. The meal offering was not coming and seeking to have the guilt removed from your conscience. The meal offering is from somebody who's recognized all that God has done and just wanted to express themselves. And, and the instructions of the meal offering, when the grain was brought to the priest, they were to pour oil on it, 
and they were to pour frankincense on it, and then the priest was to take it and burn it. The reason the oil was poured on it was so that grain would burn, and so that it would erupt in fire, it would be able to be consumed, and it would uh, burn up all of the grain. The reason the frankincense was put on it was so that it would be a pleasing aroma while it was burning. It was an expression of love being offered to God, and it was, we're told, was pleasing to God. The, the whole place would smell of this fragrant aroma as the white smoke would engulf the room. What's particularly interesting when you look at those laws in Leviticus, and I'm using that idea of particularly interesting as you're reading Leviticus, it's a relative term. Um, but I do think this is of interest. Repeatedly, the instructions say that when the grain offering is brought, make sure the frankincense is put on. But when a sin offering or a guilt offering is brought, no frankincense is to be put on it. It's still to be a burnt offering, it's still to be consumed, but it would have the stench of burning flesh. Because our sin is the stench of burning flesh. But the expressions of those who loved God because they know they have first been loved by God, that is a pleasing, fragrant aroma and the incense was to be used. And, and so this gift of incense, particular frankincense, is an appropriate gift to be giving to one who has come to be a ministering priest. But the question that we've been wrestling with during this whole holiday season is really kind of this, so what's that got to do with us? Even though that we recognize this is a, a gift that's appropriate for the one who is the ministering priest, even as the others have been for the, the mighty king and for the uh, martyred prophet, how do we give this to Jesus? So it, what's this got to do with what we do? And, and I would suggest to you that we are able to, and we ought to give a gift of incense, a gift of frankincense to our Lord for his birthday during this Advent season. Because not only is it a, an appropriate gift for a, the perfect person and, a, and a, a practical gift for the ministering priest, um, but I would suggest that it is also a profitable present from prudent people. And the reason I put it that way is because this is a gift that we give to God, uh, and at the same time, when we give it, we recognize we are actually being blessed. We are reminded of what we get even in giving. And we can give the gift of incense in, in two ways. Just as in the ministering priest, there was uh, an expression of, of worship and, a, 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 and, and symbolica of purity, we are able to give a gift of incense to our God. We are able to give the gift of incense to Jesus for his birthday through offering ourselves, committing ourselves to purity and to prayer. Now, purity we do have a problem with. We have a problem if, of giving a gift of purity, and, and that problem that you and I have of giving the gift of purity as a gift is we don't have any. We don't have any of our own anyway. 
We were born into a condition that's called sin that has affected every aspect of our being. We, we are fallen, and therefore every, every part of our being is, is corrupted and is, is tainted by sin. And by definition, is not pure. So even offering ourselves uh, to God, which is what we are called to do, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, we're offering ourselves as we are in ourselves, uh, we are offering something that is corrupted, that is polluted, that is impure. Another problem we have is it's difficult for us at times. We, we don't talk, we, the word purity is used a lot, but what exactly does it, does it mean? What does it imply? And uh, there's a, an old story, it's one of those old preacher stories, but it just uh, it popped up as in my, in my uh, um, files that just seemed appropriate. But there, there's an old story of a, of a young boy as he was reading uh, or was uh, reading an advertisement in, uh, I guess, in a newspaper or a magazine he, uh, for um, some uh, cocoa powder, turned to his mother and, and said, Mom, what is, what is it, what is pure? Uh, what does it mean to be 100% pure? Mother responded to him, recognizing what he was asking. It means to be completely clean and that has nothing bad in it. Later that night, as he was preparing for bed and his mother had passed his room, she heard the little boy praying, Dear God, help me to be like cocoa powder. And it's an appropriate prayer. And in one sense, it's the way that we offer ourselves before God. Uh, it's an acknowledgement to him that we are in need of helping, being helped, in order that we be pure as the cocoa powder that he was reading and longing for. Another person put it this way, um, uh, a commentator said that uh, while few people really define purity, purity is in its essence to be living as close to the original design as we can. In other words, Adam and Eve, our first parents, they were created, they were pure. It was only because they fell that we are lacking in purity. Uh, but the closer that we live to being pure, to the original design, well, then the closer we are to purity. And that helps us get some concept of what it is, but it doesn't help us give this gift of purity because just because we know that the closer we live to it, even if we were to pour all of our efforts and get as close as we possibly could uh, to living to the original design, it doesn't change the fact that we're still not pure. Because unless it's 100% pure, it's not pure. And so therefore, if we have any ways about us that are not inconsistent with the heart of God, even any thoughts, any attitudes, any beliefs, any values, anything within us that is not 100% for the glory of God and consistent with the ways of God, then we are not pure. And yet we're still called and still able to give a gift of purity to our Lord as a birthday gift, Christmas gift. Here's how we're able to do this. Hebrews 1.3 is a powerful verse. The writer of Hebrews writes this, speaking of the person of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And all of those things are not surprising to us. They're actually consistent with the declaration that we, we made in terms of what is the nature of Jesus. And he is God. And as Jesus himself said, if you want to know what God's like, look at me. If you've seen me, you, you've seen the Father. And these are 
uh, are beautiful and grandiose expressions of, of the nature and the character of Jesus Christ that the writer of Hebrews is speaking of, following up when he is saying, you know, God has revealed himself in many and various ways in the past, but now in these days he reveals himself in his son. And the reason that he can reveal himself in his son is because he is the exact nature of that. But the last part of this verse, think about it. Listen to what uh, this verse says. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purification for sins. This is a reference to him being the ministering priest. He is offering sacrifices. He is making purification for those who are themselves not pure. But whose sins was he making purification for? They were not his sins because he, the scriptures tell us, although being like us in every way, he was without sin. So his whole purpose for coming was to make the purification for sin by offering his own life as that substitute for us. When he became the substitute, paying the penalty for us, he makes purification for sins. That's the way that we are made clean. And the whole gospel message that is sometimes lost in all the glitter of the season and the cuteness of the baby is this, is that he made himself our sacrifice so that we would not only be forgiven of sin, but that we would be granted his record of perfection, of purity, that is credited as ours simply by believing, receiving God's gift to us. And so in a very real sense, we offer a gift of purity to God simply by believing and receiving the gift that he gave to us of Jesus because he has made that purification. We are forgiven of our sin and by faith we are declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that is not our own, but it is credited as ours. And that righteousness is pure. It is our purification. The scripture tells us that Jesus is our righteousness. And it's one of those things that sounds... You know, it can just roll right off our tongues without thinking about it. It's not that if we have Jesus, we have righteousness. He is that righteousness. If we have him because he has us, then the righteousness we have is not ours. It's his. And yet it's ours because it's his and because he is ours. And we give a gift in part of purity to God simply by receiving the first Christmas gift, which was Jesus himself and reminding ourselves of the purpose for which he had come. Because he has made the purification for sin. That's the first part of, of expressing the gift. The second part of that is a life that is committed to purification, which is the purpose for which Jesus came. And we're told that he who began a good work in you is continuing that work and will continue until it's done, which means when we are presented as the spotless, the pure bride of Christ together, when all of us who are believers in Christ have reached that full maturity. And so we give this gift by saying, Lord, I want to be pure. I've been counted pure by Christ. I am declared pure. There is a purity that I can offer to you. But I want more and more to be conformed to the original design, to die to all of those things that pollute my mind and my heart and therefore my actions and relationships. I want your mind, Lord, which comes when we study and meditate upon the word of God and pray for the spirit to give us that understanding. 
when we commit ourselves to looking not just at our actions, but our own hearts to recognize what are the things that are inconsistent that I value and that I desire uh, that are not in line with what would be best in cultivating godliness. You see, the essence of our growing in the purity that we are considered is not the perfection of our minds. It is not in uh, a bunch of, uh, of practices and uh, a bunch of, uh, or even just kind of this mystic identity. But as Phillips Brooks said in a couple of generations ago, really a couple of centuries ago, the proof of our spiritual maturity is not how pure we are, but the awareness of our impurity. And that very awareness opens the door to grace. And so we are able to give a gift of purity by receiving the gift and then giving ourselves back to God, saying, Lord, continue to be at work. I want to be pure and give myself to you. Now, some may be thinking, okay, well, there's something that seems wrong here. We're supposed to be giving gifts, and we don't have it, and God's going to give it to us, and we're going to take what God gives and then give that back to him and pretend like we're giving him a gift. And it just seems so inappropriate, unless you start thinking about your own family or your own childhood. I mean, I know very few, very small children who have good incomes coming in, and so therefore they can go out and do all the, you know, their credit card just doesn't work this time of year. And so they want to give gifts to their siblings or to their parents. They don't have a resource to go to the store and to pick something out. They can't shop on Amazon and, and have, it, have it delivered. And so I don't know about what happened in your house, but I assume it's similar to what happened in my house and then even the house I was in as children, as a child, is children go and find things that belong to the parents. And they either polish it up or they wrap it up and then they present it as a gift to the parents and the parents don't look at this and say, that's already mine. Go get something better. No, the parents look at this and recognize this is an expression of a heart of love of somebody who has nothing of their own except that they bring what they have and they bring that love and they give that and they receive that. And I'm going to paraphrase what the scripture says. You know, if you being evil know how to receive good gifts from your children, how much more can God receive gifts that come to him from his? And the fact is we're able to give a gift and God delights in the fact that we come and we acknowledge, I, I want to give you this, but I don't have it. But you've given it to me, so let me give it back to you. Not just in the same form that it came, let, it come, let me receive it. That is an honoring to you. And then let me give myself back with this desire to see you continually at work within me. God is honored by that. He receives that as a gift that comes from a childlike heart. We also recognize that we give God a gift of purity, not a gift of, of, of incense, not just by purity, but through the gift of prayer. So that it was interesting is, as Phillips Brooks said, is it's, it's our awareness of our need and our awareness of our need opens us to grace. And I would say because of our need of grace, then we become more open to God's means of grace, those things that he has told us to partake in, gifts that he's given to us, that as we partake in them, we grow in his grace. In particular, among those means of grace, I would say this morning is the gift of prayer. We are able to give to God a gift of incense 
as we commit ourselves to a life of prayer. Prayer itself is hard for so many people, and, and I need to say that because there are so many people who feel embarrassed, so they don't want to say it, because they think you're the only one. If I was to ask for honesty in the church and say, how many of you think prayer is easy, there would be maybe you know, half a dozen hands go up and five of them are lying. I don't know why it's difficult. Perhaps because we think that it is something bigger than it really is. But the best description of prayer I think I've ever heard was this. Prayer is merely the conversational aspect of a love relationship with your Father. It's a gift of speaking. It's a gift of speaking whatever is on your mind. It's not about, as you hear, sometimes those will speak and lead in public prayer, and that needs to be often more you know, clear. But the Scriptures say that the Holy Spirit takes even our groans and our grumbling and interprets them before God. You don't need to be articulate and think that you have a well-ordered prayer life before you can give that to God as a gift. I love the way that Paul Miller expresses it both in his book and in his seminar from A Praying Life, and he's written that for those who feel that their prayer life is inadequate. He says that, you know, if you have young children, and God says, come to us as children, have you ever talked with a, a young children, particularly you know, one who's extroverted and is excited about something? They come on and they start saying, hey, mom, hey, dad, did you see this? Because this is what I saw. And, and then yesterday I did, you know, it's a full-time job just keeping up with, the, you know, the multitude of things that are in the conversation in that, that short expression. But they're sharing what's passion in their heart. And God takes that with the same delight that a, a mother of a, of a four-year-old would because the child is coming and sharing, and it's an invitation to us. And we give to God a, a gift of, of incense when we commit ourselves to a life of prayer. One, it's an expression of the means of grace by which he transforms us, and we are able to grow in more purity. But I also want you to hear what God's Word says about it. Psalm 141.2 says this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Revelation 5.8 says this, And when, the, uh, when he had taken it, the, the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one of them with a harp uh, they were holding uh, golden bowls full of incense. It's the picture of the worship that's taking place in heaven. And so you have the, uh, you have the, uh, the 24 elders uh, that are bowing down before Jesus. Each one has a harp, and they're, they're holding golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So the Scripture says your prayers as incense to God. They are a gift of incense that are given to God. John Piper kind of borrows and, and change, shifts the, the metaphor slightly, and he says this, it's as if God has a favorite food, and when we pray, he smells the aroma from the kitchen as you prepare his special dish. When God hungers from some, for some special satisfaction, he seeks out a prayer to answer. Our prayer is the sweet aroma from the kitchen ascending up to the king's chambers, making him hungry for the meal, 
But the actual enjoyment of the meal is his own glorious work in answering our prayer. The food of God is to answer our prayers. The most wonderful thing about the Bible is that it reveals a God who satisfies his own appetite for joy by answering prayers. He has no deficiency in himself that he needs to fill up. So he gets his satisfaction by magnifying the glory of his riches by filling up the deficiencies of people who pray. And this is what makes it a prudent gift. We give to God a gift of incense when we recognize our need for purity and that God has provided that gift of purity. But we avail ourselves of that gift and we cultivate that gift within our own lives when we spend time praying, which itself is a gift of incense to our God. And then, because God takes delight, he has no need of the gifts that we are to offer him, but he takes delight in them. God takes even further delight in giving back to the people who have given to him in the first place this gift of incense, and then he fulfills the prayers. Now, think about that whole aspect of offering yourself as a gift of purity. Your desire to honor and delight and, and, uh, and glorify God and you pray that prayer, those prayers for that, to see you to become more and more conformed to the original design, holy, perfect. And then God hears them, and the prayers themselves are a gift to him, and then it brings him delight to be able to make that more true in the first place. We can never outgive God, but we can give to God. And in this Christmas season, we can give to God a gift of incense by offering ourselves with a desire for purity and conversing with God through prayer by which he builds us more and more into that purity. And therefore, the gift that we offer of ourselves, in a sense, is even greater in the first place. And so as we come before God, there is a sense that What we have is inadequate. But the greater sense is, God has said, by offering yourself, it is more than adequate. He delights in the gifts of his children. So may you, this Christmas season, Give to God a gift of incense by offering your life and your prayers as incense. May you strive to be as pure and as pleasing to God as cocoa powder is to that little boy. Father, we give thanks to you this day and pray that you would be at work within us. We might become more and more what you have created us to be. Make us pure and holy. Make us yours. We pray in Christ. Amen.